0: The foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua, Yeshua. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio. States in Revelation 3.1, to the angel of the messianic community in Sardis. And I remind you that angel here means messenger. It doesn't necessarily mean a supernatural messenger. In fact, it probably doesn't here. But the same word is used for an angel of, of, that's angelic and also a human messenger. And these are probably, these are likely human messengers delivering the Word to these communities. So, to the angel of the Messianic community in Sardis write, here is the message from the one who has the sevenfold Spirit of God and the seven stars, which is all about Yeshua. Right? Talking about the sevenfold Spirit of God and the seven stars, that is Yeshua. Right? We don't have to try and find another application for the sevenfold Spirit. There's really only one Spirit of God that ministers in several different ways. Yeshua encompasses all of that. I know what you are doing. If you're not doing something right, isn't the last thing you want to hear from the Holy Spirit is, I know what you're doing? You're not getting away with it. It's not getting by. I'm not too busy to pay attention to you. But I know what you're doing. You have a reputation for being alive. So that would mean word of mouth that everybody thinks, oh, this community at Sardis has got it all put together. But in fact, you are dead. Well, that's not what you want to hear. Right? Right? So you're being puffed up, and you're presenting. You're more like the Pharisees that Yeshua is addressing. Was addressing that they were saying the right things and doing all the wrong things. And I use that as a general term. They weren't doing everything wrong, but the point being that we have been deceived by the evil one, Hasatan, that we're we're good. We're good. And what this messenger is telling him, you're not so good. And and we should be, We need to be able to receive that so that we can look at ourselves in the mirror and Through the Holy Spirit, and recognize where we fall short. So, this message is not only to the community of Sardis, it is a message to us. They're backsliding. Everybody familiar with the term backsliding? The problem is, most people that are backsliding admit it when it's way too late, right? That a lot of source problems have come on to them. And then I, oh, I'm good, I'm good. But the more that we, the farther we distance ourselves from the Lord and His Word, the more trouble we're going to have and the more trouble in the flesh we're going to have to recognize that we are backslidden. Human nature. I mean, that, that's the nature of the flesh. The problem is we like to... the devil tries to convince us you're good, right? We're good. The main issue Yeshua is dealing with in this word at sardis, is dead works. They're doing all kinds of things, but they're not for the Lord. You look good. You think you're good, but it's dead works. The Lord desires that we will do works that are alive in Him. And so we need to be careful, you know, just filling our times with stuff or things that we've rationalized that are good, or even in doctrinal error saying, you need to do this and this and this and this and this and this, unless it's the Lord approving it, that it is dead work. So, what is the definition of dead work? That would be not the heart of God. If we are not operating in the heart of God, that is a dead work, it is a dead thought though to our minds it might seem good or reasonable, if it isn't of the heart of God, it is a dead work. From James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no actions to prove it? We're talking about actions that are of the Lord, that are are profitable to the Lord. If we have actions but they aren't faithful to the Lord, then they are a waste of time at the least. And at the worst, can bring consequences to us. Is such faith able to save him? No. Faith based on our own willful energy or thoughts will not bring you into a saved position with the Lord. In verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and someone says to him, "Go no, not keep warm and eat hearty without giving him what he needs. What good does it do? Thus faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. And of course, the reverse is true too, right? Actions without faith is dead. And faith without action is dead. There's a, there's a, a godly balance right, that many times we struggle with. Verse 18, but someone will say that you have faith and I have actions. Show me this faith of yours without the actions and I will show you my faith with actions. What James is talking about, this is what Revelation is talking about. That's the reason I'm sharing the Scripture. It's talking about the exact same thing. It was a continual... Or, an ever present problem within the messianic communities that they were struggling in all different issues. And so, but in the revelation, it's not all new information. It's just, it's, it's focusing on these communities, and they're struggling with these same things that, that the body of Messiah has been struggling with from the beginning backsliding. Many, and may, probably obviously relevant for us today, many of the faithful in Sardis in Yeshua's eyes were not, they were lying. To themselves, worse, they were lying to the Lord. They were lying to the Lord. When we lie to ourselves, we're lying to God. In fact, when we lie to other people, we're lying to the Lord. What we do unto others is what we do unto the Lord. You know, it's just not a matter of of leading somebody astray or deceiving them. When we do that, the Lord is recognizing that behavior and it's not good. There are consequences, eternal consequences for our actions and things that we tend to think as being minor issues. But usually, it's, we don't have one minor issue because one leads to another and then to another and then to another. And then we have all these minor issues would make a big issue because they affect our relationship with the Lord and they also affect our relationship with one another. So we can easily, I think we should be able to see that we could easily find ourselves in the same position and getting the uh, instruction from Yeshua that they did in Sardis. In many cases, the book of Revelation, as is many of the books of the Bible, are not necessarily a history lesson. They are relevant to the days we live in and to the same folly that we fall to that our ancestors fell to. We have a tendency to talk a big game within the communities, God's communities, not, that is crosses over all doctrine issue, doctrinal issues or beliefs or preferences that we, um, we think we are overachievers We think that we are in the game and that we're in the right game and the Lord's constantly reminding us, please check what you're doing. He we can do better. We can do better. But we won't do better if we're not willing to humble ourselves and recognize that we can do better. Does that make sense to everybody? Unless we are willing to say, you know, I can do better, we're not going to do it. Not always in the sense of we're intentionally being rebellious, but we're deceiving ourselves which causes rebellion. We can sometimes be taught rebellion Right, We do what other people do. It's rebellion to God, but we think it's okay. And when it becomes a real problem is when we, we, we take it as our own and then the Lord reprimands us and we don't change, We don't repent. A lot of the rebellion and sins we've learned from other people as well. It's not just Hasatan talking to us and getting us to do stuff, but we do things that are modeled to us by other people. Especially kids. Kids m- tend to model what they see. Not just from their parents, but the other kids in school or... Just life in general or TV? They're modeling those things over TV. That's why we should be cautious about what we watch or what we allow our children to watch. So how can we assure ourselves and indeed assure that we're not being... Deceived? We need to talk about that. It says in Hebrews 9.14, then how much more the blood of the Messiah who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish will purify our conscience from works that lead to death so that we can serve the living God we going to read another scripture and we're going to talk about that. John 14, 12, Yes, indeed, I tell you that whoever trusts in Me will also do the works I do. Indeed, he will do greater ones because I am going to the Father. The answer is that when we operate in Yeshua, in His Spirit and His Word, that leads us to the right action. He is the answer. How do we, how do we look at our behaviors and how do we realize what is good and what is not good? And the answer is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God reveal what is correct. And what is not correct? And the problem, and here's the systemic problem within the larger body of Christianity. If you reject or you believe that half the three-quarters of the scriptures are obsolete or irrelevant to you, you've got a problem. is you have no standard to bear your actions or your thoughts. If God wants us to act a certain way or know what it is that glorifies Him, He tells us. If you subtract the word, then what do we receive? How do we know what pleases Him? The Lord did not save us from His Word or His instruction. He saved us from the penalty of death, which we deserve because we don't live His Word perfectly. We are no longer under the condemnation that we were talking about the curses and the blessings in our reading. And for us in Messiah, we are saved from death, from, the, from evil, from our sin if we're in Messiah. If we're walking with Him, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeshua has expectations that we will walk in faith and we will produce good fruit. And good fruit should produce, help produce, and keep faith. The problem is there's a systemic problem. They had a problem in Sardis, and we have a problem today. We can, might be easier for us to point our finger at the world, go, yeah, look, there is a lot of problems. The problem is we have to point to ourselves first and say, okay, Lord, what is it about me that needs to be changed? The rest of the world is not your problem. We can't take care of ourselves, but you're looking at the world's problems. The Lord's saying, be focused on the, on the plank in your own eye, not the sliver in everybody else's eye. But there's that self-righteousness that we, especially in traditions or uh, perceived doctrines that we, we hold against people. The Lord doesn't hold His Word against us to destroy us. He gives us His Word so that we can live and live abundantly. But what happens when we use it as things as legalism... Or false doctrine, they tear us down. They wear us out. Dan sent me an email about just yesterday, this morning, tonight. You know, what, you know how do we shake the Etrog and Lulav? What's the order of shaking it? Everybody here, I think, has had a crack at it. They may not be sure how you shake it. But the issue is the Bible, the reality is the Bible doesn't tell us how you shake it. It says you just shall shake it before the Lord. There are many traditions in how you shake it. But when you're in a community, what we call halachic rulings, we structure things so that everybody's on the same page. Otherwise, it's a free-for-all. There are many ways that you can shake the etrog and the lulav, having to do with the order of how you do it. I've taught the order that I've known my whole life. Are there other ones that are equally good? I believe there are. But the point is, we teach so everybody can be on the same page. There, that, is, that is, the Lord has allowed for halakhic rulings within a community. What that means is an instruction of law. We take what Torah says, and there's an instruction of law that helps us define how we are going to operate in the principles the Lord has given us. I think that's a good example of how we can get caught up, right? It's, if we can correct, we want to correct so people can get it right. But if we're using it against them, and somebody's whispering, "He didn't do it right," that doesn't count. <laughs> you know, we're laughing. But people think and say things like that, right? And we we wanna be, we wanna, we wanna move away from that. We wanna be exempt. We we wanna catch ourselves when we're being judgmental over others, when especially we haven't looked at the plank in our own eye. If we trust the Messiah, in John 14 that I just read in verse 12, it says, if we trust in the Messiah, if we operate in his principles, we will do good works. The problem is if we leave the word behind. Then the good works that you think you're doing are subjective in your mind, not objective in the Lord's eyes. How do we operate? How do we discern? You know, if you're not if you're not dwelling in the Holy Spirit every day when you're making decisions, you're going to make a lot of bad decisions. I know the difference. Before I was a believer, uh, you know, as a believer, I made many important decisions in the corporate world, and, and some were right and some were wrong. But in that case, if you have power, you can make it happen anyway, even if you made the wrong decision. It doesn't work that way in the Kingdom of God. On a regular basis, the Lord is reminding me or trying to lead me to a a, a discernment of a right decision. Do I always make the right decision? The answer is no. I'm not Yeshua. Who could possibly make the right decision every time about everything? And if there are people that think they can or others can, they are deceived by Hasatanim. The Lord expects us to do works. Not only that, we're going to do greater works than Yeshua did on earth. Because He said it. You shall do greater works than mine. Works are important when they're in the Lord. Works without faith is dead. And faith without works, the fruit is of no use to the Lord. And this is what he's presenting to the, to the community of Sardis, but he's also presenting it to us. I don't see where we find ourselves exempt. This was a messianic community. They lifted up Yeshua and they've got issues. We're a messianic community. We've got issues. Just because we're human. We have issues. But that doesn't exempt us from not working on them. And the Lord presents things to us and He shows things to us and He sent this message to say, hey, wake up! Everything's not as honky-dory as you think it is. Yeshua, through His Holy Spirit, through His Ruach, He provides the way for us to do works that He desires, that He has orchestrated, that He has presented in our hearts for the glory of His kingdom and to Him. That's why we need to be in touch with the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, so that we can have some discernment about. What we do and what we don't do. So, what are the sevenfold spirit and seven stars? I kind of gave you a vague answer to it. Let's talk about it a bit, though. So, we, the, how do we know? Well, we need to go to the Tanakh to understand what they are. From Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3a. But a branch will emerge from the trunk of Yeshai, Jesse. Most Bibles would say Jesse, but his Hebrew name is Yeshai. A shoot will grow from his roots. Who's the shoot? Who is the root? but a branch will emerge from the trunk of Jesse. A shoot will grow from his roots. The Spirit of Adonai will rest upon him. So it's telling us that Yeshua is the Mashiach because the Spirit of God will rest upon him, which gives him authority. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Here's your seven. Here's that you're coming. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and fearing Adonai. He will be inspired, which is encouraged, but also reverent by fearing Adonai. This is the answer to the seven Spirits of God. And if you don't know the Tanakh, you're not going to know what they are. There isn't anything new under the sun. Whatever the Lord is presenting in Revelation is supporting the work in Torah. There's no mystery here. There's no mystery. You just need to know. We have an obligation to know. I believe the sevenfold Spirit in Revelation is a reference clearly to the Holy Spirit found in its fullness in Yeshua through the sevenfold Spirit. The seven stars are the messengers to each community sometimes called angels. There's not nearly as much mystery and revelation as the modern church doctrine have. Which is a good thing. It's really a good thing. If we're going to make a doctrinal decision about what a Scripture means, we should have a a biblical foundation for why it means that. Was Yeshua... Speaking to these communities with totally new stuff? Of course not. He was speaking to them about things they should have already known and we should know too. Wake up, believers of Sardis, wake up. Believers today, wake up. From Revelation chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, Wake up and strengthen what remains before it dies too. If we don't repent and be transformed, we will die in our sin and our misbelief because we will do works that are empty and we'll have faith that is no longer based on the living God. Wake up is the message. It's a message that crosses the millenniums. It crosses the decades. It's a message as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. We need to wake up to the complacency of what the world has presented that is not the truth. Let us Return we, from the prayer that we do at the end of the service. It says, let us return to You, O Lord. The Lord is calling us each in our own individual ways. Return to Me, that I may bless you. Return to Me. Wake up and strengthen what remains before it dies too. A warning. If you don't change, you're going to end up on the wrong end of the stick. For I have found what you are doing incomplete in the sight of God. So remember what you received and heard and obey it. What is it that they have received and heard? That Yeshua is Mashiach. That He is Messiah. And He's come to redeem the creation. But He does it through our obedience and our faith and our trust which starts with repentance and return to the Lord your God which is also mean return to the Word of the Lord your God. If we don't say it that way, it's empty. If you just say return to the Lord our God, what does it mean? We need to put flesh on it. What does it mean? What does it look like? We're good. We know Jesus. You don't know Jesus if you don't know His Word. Because we can't operate properly. Do you think the doctrines of men are better than the doctrines of our Lord? No, of course they're not. Whether we want to call it Christian, Messianic, Harry, Krishna, whatever you want to call it. I don't think they're around anymore, but I remember them. I lived in the days when you went through all the airports and they were there, orange or white, and shaking their tambourines. Of course, my thought at the time was, boy, they are weird. Now people call me weird. Some of you call me weird. So remember what you received and have heard and obeyed and turned from sin. Teshuvah. To repent of your sin and to turn away from it. What is sin? What God has defined as sin is sin. Anything that we do against the Lord or other people is sin. Not my definition. His. And how do we know what sin is? From the Word that He gives us. And the Holy Spirit will quicken us to it if we allow it. How many people have been sometimes been convicted of something and you think about it and you go, nah, (laughs) I'm good. I it's happened to me, it's happened to everybody. It's, it's a weakness of the flesh. You get convicted for that tiny moment, and then you, the devil starts talking to you, and you go, uh, I really want it. Nah I'm good. It happens happened to all of us. For if you don't wake up verse three, or yeah, verse three, I will come like a thief, and you don't know at what moment I will come upon you. We have an obligation, all of us, all of us need to wake up wherever we may be in our walk. We need to wake up. We can always do better. Amen? I think we all should hopefully be able to agree that we can all do better. None of us have arrived. Thank God for the grace of Yeshua so that we have this opportunity to move up the ladder. Not in a checklist, but that that His loving grace covers us through the ups and downs that we struggle with as human beings. The Lord Lord could have just destroyed the community of Sardis. Instead, He sends a message and says, look, there's major issues here. Need Knee straight now. I will come like a thief. Now that's not the only Scripture. There are several Scriptures in the apostolic writings that says the Lord will come like a thief. You can't project His time of His coming. And there are people out there trying to do it. And you can read it on the Internet. And I know some in the past, and I don't know about anybody here, that have believed other people projecting the coming of the timing of the Lord and it's not possible. And people base their behaviors on the timing of the coming of the Messiah. I'll do better next week. Right? We, oh, I'll do this one more time and then I'm off. I'm not on the wagon. Eh, he didn't come. All right, another week. This is how we as human beings rationalize our behaviors and our thoughts. And so we, we, can re, we can have a benefit from these warnings, this, this vision from uh, Yeshua to John in the book of Revelation. It's not really a scary book. It's meant to help us. Should we be worried about our position of salvation? Most would say no but I would say this implies, yes, we need to be worried about our position of salvation. Because salvation doesn't come at the beginning, it comes at the end. Otherwise, there would be no reason for the book of Revelation or any other book for that matter. God to say, nope, you're all saved. I don't like what you do, but you're saved and don't worry about it. can't find any Scripture that says that. None. So we should. We need to be aware of our position. Not We can't earn the position, but we need to live for the Lord as a, as a faithful believer and a fa- as a faithful community so that we are pleasing before the Lord and that He will receive us in new eternity at the judgment. Look, we all get judged. The difference is will you suffer the wrath of God or not? If you're a believer in good standing as the Lord sees it, you're good to go. If you're not, you're going to get the wrath of God. I'm going to be talking about that in in later chapters. Being vigilant for Yeshua's return is not about looking, but living and being ready. And I alluded to that earlier. We need, lead, live, need to live for the Lord in this moment, in this day, and not worry about tomorrow. If you're trying to project how you're going to live and what you're going to do, it may be too late. The Lord is giving us a heads up. He's saying, look, I see what you're doing and you need to change it because this could be the consequence. You ain't going to make it because you're hedging your bed for whatever reasons. We should be living every day to the Messiah as if He's coming tonight. That's what it means to be ready. Reading the Bible and not changing your life does not make you ready. Stopping eating shellfish and pork will not make you ready. It's a good idea, if God commanded it, but it does not make you ready. Lord, i still sinned in a lot of things, but I stopped eating pork and shellfish. And Even if Yeshua acknowledges us, which He probably won't, He's going to go, um, that's not good. <laughs> we need to be able to have the mind of Messiah so that we can understand how He sees things. When we're just looking through our flesh and our our worldly eyes, we don't see what Yeshua sees. We need to be able to see from His Scriptures and His Holy Spirit how He views the world and how He views our lives. The problem is we use a worldly standard. Most of us do. We go, compared to the world, I'm awesome. And that's probably true. Unfortunately, that's not the standard of measurement. But Lord, I was really good. I stopped eating shellfish and pork. You should have kept eating it. The Lord doesn't receive anything that's for the wrong reason. We, we can go through the motion of things and it's not to the glory of God. In Isaiah and other, other prophets it says, I no longer want your feasts and your festivals. I no longer want your sacrifices. Well, they, they look like the right sacrifice, but of the heart and the Word and the walk, they weren't. The Lord detests the things that we have distorted and perverted that are His that we dress up to look like they're satisfactory. And it started from the beginning. When Cain offered it an unacceptable sacrifice, And the Lord judges him, right? Then he gets mad about it and takes out his brother. Isn't that better, Lord? Cain thought Abel was the problem because Abel was showing him up because he was offering an an, an honest sacrifice to the Lord. So Cain, I'm paraphrasing here. So Cain decides to take him out because then he doesn't have to compete with his brother, and then the Lord will accept whatever he gives him. Didn't work that way. Revelation chapter three verses three through five. A few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Soiled it with what? Sin. Have not soiled the clothes, and they will walk with Me, clothed in white, because they are worthy. God judges between people, persons. Are you working? Were they walking perfectly? That's not what it's saying here. What it's saying is their heart was right. And they were focused on being ready for the Lord. So because of that, God credits righteousness just as He credited it to Abraham. And he says, now I'm going to clothe you in white because you are worthy. Worthy to be received by the Lamb. Not worthy in your own flesh, but worthy to be received by the Lamb. He who wins the victory will, like them, be dressed in white clothing. And I will not blot out His name out of the book of life. In fact, I will acknowledge Him individually before My Father, before His angels. Well, that's a pretty powerful Scripture. And it also mentions something that I'm going to be talking about later as well. Not today though but about the book of life. I will not blot out your name from the book of life if you're walking properly. That tells us that's different from the the tradition or culture I grew in where you had to be written in the book of life if you lived right. No, we're born into the book of life. The problem is staying in it. That's very different than earning your way into the book. You don't earn your way into the book of life. Some people have a problem with the book of life. Why does the Lord need a book? He doesn't. But we need one. We we need to be able to focus on things that we can we can discern I'm in the book, I'm not in the book. At least we should be able to. The Lord doesn't need the book. He doesn't go, oh I don't remember how are you are you in oh the Lord doesn't need the book. It, it it's it's something for us that we can focus on in humanity that we, we understand. You're in the book, you're not in the book. And how did you get in the book and how do you get out of the book? And this is telling us if we walk faithfully with him, we'll win the victory and we will not be blotted out blotted out of the book of life. In fact, I will acknowledge you individually. So the Lord just doesn't see a a mass of humanity. He sees each of us as unique before Him. That's kind of cool. People of Sardis, return to the Messiah. People of the Messianic community, get your act together. Get your spiritual lives together. Have ears to hear, which is what the next verse says in verse 6 of chapter 3. Have ears to hear. We may hear, but do we acknowledge? What the Lord means, do you hear and do you receive it? And will you repent and change? It's not just a matter did you hear it? My kids hear lots of stuff, but they don't receive it, right? You talk to your kids, you know they heard it, but did it change their actions? No. I'm accused that the older I get now, they, I, I can't hear anything, right? I always say what and tell it again. And then they'll be talking to me, or, and I'll be either on the computer focusing or watching TV, and they go, how come you're not listening to me? I said, get my attention. Because I may hear stuff, but I don't, I'm not, you know, acknowledging it and talking to me. And then they get mad. You didn't hear a word I said. I said I heard stuff. <laughs> get my attention. And, and and be honest with you, it's a little bit like that for me as a rabbi dealing with sheep. Because sometimes it's extremely difficult to get your spiritual attention. And then you get mad at me or upset or irritated because, you know, I have such a bad attitude. I do. Sometimes I'm tough. I'm straightforward and direct. Kathy and I had a session yesterday, didn't we? She called for a five minute thing, and it ended up, we were on that phone almost an hour being irritated by each other. Is that not true, Kathy? It all ended up good, didn't it? But fortunately, praise God that, that most of you, or some of you, you, you know what I am. I have f- flaws. I am passionate for the Lord, and sometimes it's overly. And if you're going to convince me if something isn't right, you're going to have to work really hard at it because I know stuff. But it doesn't mean everything I know is exactly right. I'm willing to take correction if it's right, but you're going to have to battle for it. It should be that way. He's unresponsible, doubly responsible. You want a rabbi that's willing to stand in the breach and is willing to be tough, loving tough. I show tough love a lot. You ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer. I'll I'll give you an answer, but it's not going to be fluffy. I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to move on. Why? I got 15 other people wanting to ask me the same question. Last night at the Kadima service, some of you came, most of you didn't. And I opened it up at the end, asked a few questions. A couple of good questions came up. I could only answer part of it. Went home, realized that I'd answered the question correctly, but it had to do with um, asking a question about something that you're not understanding context about the question. Deuteronomy chapter 25, the woman's husband had died. There's no adultery in that. And it doesn't say the brother was married. So there's no problem within the Scripture and context. And also, it was a commandment. The Lord commanded the brother-in-law to help the woman produce an heir so she wouldn't lose the inheritance of the land of her family. you have got to be very careful about how we understand things. But there was no conflict and there was no compromise in the Word of the Lord there. We can't be very careful of reading in the Scripture something that it doesn't say. Assumptions. We like to assume, well, what if He was? That's not the case. I'm not going to make an assumption. What if will lead you down a rabbit trail every time? What if? Well, okay, I know it doesn't say that, but what if it did? Well, I'm not going to argue something that isn't there. Neither should you. Oh gosh, we're finally going to make it to Philadelphia. It's so close. But maybe we shouldn't be so close. Right? Chapter 3, verse 8. I know, you, I know what you are doing. Here we go again. The Lord is saying, I know what you're doing. Look, I have put in front of you an open door and no one can shut it. I know that you have, put, that you have but little power, yet you have obeyed my message and have not disowned me. Well, that's a good start. But I hate butts in the Bible. But you are in danger. You are under heavy oppression. Oy vey. I will tell you right now, if you're a believer, you're all under heavy oppression. Some of us handle it better than others. Some of us do need deliverance to get over the, the, the oppression, how it attacks us. But we're all under oppression. People that do evil don't know they're under oppression. Why? Because that's the life they've chosen. One of the things I believe to be true, that because it says that all men are created in the image of God, that each of us are born with a moral code. Basic moral code. Knowing good from evil. Life and death. Those kinds of things. But what happens is the devil distorts it very early in our lives, and we don't understand that we have this moral code. We should know that rape is a sin. Part of a basic moral code of respect life. Just one example. And we don't need to be taught that. I believe if we affirm it, and we raise people up, we have a basic moral code. Why? Because we're made in the image of God, and the Spirit of God is in us. That gives us a basic moral code. Everybody understand where I'm going with that? We are not born empty. We are born in the image of God. We are born very good, but we're born into a sinful world, and we acquire sinful habits really fast. Children usually don't know what sin is. They're going to mimic and do whatever you teach them, or what they see. Verse nine. Here I will give you some. Here I will give you some from the synagogue of the adversary. Yikes! We're in a synagogue. What does that mean? Wow! Maybe that wasn't such a good idea. The synagogue of the adversary. Those who call themselves Jews but aren't. We're going to get into that. But you are so that. But aren't on the contrary, they are lying. See, I will cause them to come and prostrate themselves at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Verse 10. Because you did not obey my message about persevering, I will keep you from the time of the trial coming until the whole world to put the people living on earth to the test. The synagogue of the adversary, It, it crosses. first of all, Philadelphia is not a Jewish community. the a Greek one. It's part of, the Ottoman, it was part of what's now the Ottoman Empire or Turkey. But the point is that it's talking about a group of people that were representing themselves as faithful believers and they're evil inside. You know, the, the argument out there in the Messianic world that you know Jews and Gentiles, well, if I come to a Messianic synagogue and I call Him Yeshua, am I Jewish now? What a ridiculous argument to spend our time on. But that's, that's the reality. We come together, Jew and Gentile together, one new man in the body of Messiah. The argument shouldn't be did I become Jewish or did I become Gentile? It's irrelevant because God says neither one matters. You're a newborn creation in Me. So the the synagogue of Satan are people that call themselves Jews, but I would argue that the true Jew is one that worships God. The true Gentile believer grafted in is one that actually believes in God. You can participate in many things and they on the outside look like they're kosher and it's unkosher. Unclean. Not fit. He was saying, in the midst of you, you have trouble. You have trouble. In your midst, you have lying and deceit in your midst. Those that call themselves Jews, but aren't, on the contrary, they are lying. See, I will cause them to come and prostrate themselves before your feet. The true believer. The Lord's going to restore right order. My guess is these synagogues of unbelievers, whether they're Jews or whatever, they weren't towing the line. And they're having influence on the community. That's why we have to be very careful about where you plant your roots. It does matter where you plant your roots. I will cause them to come and prostrate themselves at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. Separating the sheep from the goats. Refining in the fire. Separating out the thorns and thistles from the good growth. Beware. Verse 10, because you did not obey my message about persevering. I will keep you from that time of trial coming upon the whole world to put the people living on earth to the test. Well, the the world's in a test. The whole world's in a test. You're in a test. I'm in a test. Everybody's in a test. I have touched upon these verses, me, I've touched upon them before, they, they have become a proof text. They become a proof text for the doctrine, these verses become a proof text or the supposed proof text of the doctrine of rapture that teaches that the true believers will be taken to heaven before the tribulation. If that was true, there's no test. There's no test. Nowhere in Scripture can you support anybody being raptured out before the tribulation or during the tribulation, or any of those. The problem is, that doctrine sets up false hope. We should be ready. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. This, this, So the tribulation, I mean the rapture, what is it? It's a 19th century, so 1800s century, dispensational doctrine believing that the age of Philadelphia and Laodicea were ending and coming respectively, that they were overlapping. So the doctrine of rapture is only from the 1800s. That should present a warning sign to all of you. Do not add and do not take away from My Word. It's fabricated. Their theology was simple. We are the true church, and we have, we have earned. We have earned avoiding suffering. You can't earn not to avoid suffering. First of all, we all suffer. Yeshua says you, should all, you shall all suffer if you're in Me, but it will be for a short time. Of course, that's based on Yeshua's time, right? Not necessarily ours. We all go through suffering, And in the the second hour, we go, isn't it over yet? And the Lord's saying, suffering is going to last, but short in his time. I find no support for this, for that doctrine, particularly in these following verses. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 11 and 12a, it says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. I will make him who wins the victory a pillar in the temple of God, and he will never leave it. This has to do with walk, walking through the tribulation period, whatever that may mean to us. I believe that I'm going I'm, I'm to get into why, uh, give you some help with that, I hope. As I've alluded to, and it'll come up more, the book of Revelation has everything to do with the book of Exodus. They are in parallel. We can easily help understand the book of Revelation by looking at the book of Exodus. That makes sense. Israel, just prior to the Exodus, was not raptured out, were they? They were in the midst of trial, weren't they? Does anybody here think that Israel was raptured out during the Exodus? If Israel is God's apple of His eye and He didn't rapture them out through the tribulation, what makes you think that the new church is going to? It makes no sense. God doesn't deal with them. He's going to deal equally with believers. God isn't going to change His mind and do something different that He didn't prophesy or that He gave to us. They were in the midst of trial. They were in Goshen, right? Knowing the wrath Adonai was pouring out, yet only affected by the slaying of the firstborn, if they were not faithful to the process of the sacrificed lamb. This is really deep stuff. This is the deep. Israel was not raptured out because they were to be, to be a witness to the tribulation that Egypt went through and their deliverance. And also it tested their faith. They had to put, slaughter the lamb and put the blood on the lentils of the house. Otherwise, they would have suffered the plague of the death of the firstborn. This is what Revelation is using. This parallel. As God dealt with Israel, so I believe He is going to deal with whoever is grafted in. We will be preserved in whatever that means to the Lord. Some will be martyred and some won't. Some will die and some will not. But in Messiah, it doesn't make a difference because the goal is eternal life. Revelation is revealing another Goshen. This time for all believers of faith and action. The tribulation is about Goshen, paralleling there will be witnesses to the trials on earth, and some will be called on as martyr witnesses. And there's a caveat. Yeshua promises in Luke 21, verses 16 through 19 you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. Some of you will have to be put to death, and everyone will hate you because of. Many of us are experiencing that kind of tribulation already the division of families and rejection of the Word of God, rejection of the lifestyle that you choose here. But in verse 18, it says, but not a hair on your head will be lost. That seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? But it's not. because it's talking about the eternal reward. But not a hair on your head will be lost. By standing firm, you will save your lives. It's a bit of a paradox, but it's not a paradox. We have to lose our lives to gain our lives. If everybody's raptured out, there's a problem, my brothers and sisters. There's a problem with all of the writings that precede that doctrine and the, and the writings that come after Paradoxes can be good. They can be also confusing to us. Are we standing firm if we're just people who raptured out when all the trouble is going to happen? What, what, what's the evidence that we stood firm? Tell me. What is the evidence that you stood firm if you're raptured out before all the you-know-what hits the fan? There's no test of your faith. That is the ultimate test of our faith. And we, we live in the age where we could see the return of the Messiah. We live in the age where we could see the start of Armageddon. We do. The signs point to it. I find that these scriptures actually are proof to how complete the resurrection actually. There is no resurrection if everybody's raptured. Nobody is in heaven but Yeshua and the Lord. Abraham wasn't there. Elijah's not there. Nobody's there. Well, angels. Enoch is not there. The point is that the faithful will be safe in this world or the next. It doesn't really matter i not. I can't tell you them exactly. I'm not. I don't know how everything's going to play out. But I do know the Lord has promised we are safe and that we will be preserved. So it doesn't matter in that sense. We will be subject. We will not subject to the Lord's wrath. That is the difference. But we are subject to how He will use how He will use us in the last days against evil. We are participants. We are the Holy Host. If you're all raptured up into heaven. How can you be part of the Holy Host that's going to do battle with Yeshua and the white horse? Some will be in heaven. Some some part of the New Jerusalem marked by the name of the Lord, as the Scripture says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only and unique Son so that everyone who trusts in Him may have eternal life. Instead of being utterly destroyed, there's the wrath, the message remains consistent in all of Torah Never changing it, always perfect and faithful. And that's why we need all this scripture, because all the scripture is perfect and faithful. Well, we'll pick this up, sandwiched in between the holy days. Same bat time, same bat channel. Amen. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Find the Savior. Find Yeshua HaMashiach. Find the truth on Solace Radio.